This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today's episode is about positivity, improving your performance while staying happy and well. I'm privileged to be joined by Dr. Susie Green, who's a clinical and coaching psychologist and founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, a Sydney-based organisation dedicated to the research and application of the science of optimal human functioning. Susie's a leader in the complementary fields of coaching psychology and positive psychology. She holds many esteemed academic positions, including Honorary Vice President of the International Society for Coaching Psychology and Honorary Visiting Professor at the University of East London. Welcome to the podcast, Susie. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's really great to be here. It's a great pleasure to meet you finally. And tell me more about this Positivity Institute you have. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we just celebrated 10 years of uh, being in business last year, or we're in the 10th year right now. Wow. And uh, I guess it really emerged. I had done a lot of clinical practice in the early part of my career, moved into coaching, which was what my doctorate was on as a proactive and preventative mental health strategy, which I'd love to talk a bit more about today. Um, But the business, I wanted to be able to do bigger projects, I think. And I was very fortunate to be involved early on in the field of positive education here in Australia. And so up until I think I started working with schools, it was really just individual work that I was doing. And then I had the opportunity to work with schools as organisations and work with schools um, like Knox Grammar, Loretta Kirribilli, I was with for a couple of years Perth College, I worked for four years. So I really had a chance to do more organisational work. And then my organisational work just started to take off. So in fact, most of the work that the Positivity Institute does is in workplaces, the corporate sector, and a small offering in schools. But I usually say it's the most meaningful work is my work in schools. Oh, yes, because grassroots and influence generations coming and and uplifting the younger people with a great way of thinking about productivity as well as health. Because most of us, I think, think increasing productivity, you're going to be detrimenting your health. Yes, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's not either or, I don't think. We know from research that, uh, as you would know, competency um, is a core psychological need, competence. If we look at a theory self-determination theory competence is one of the core psychological needs that we need there's lots of other theories and research around accomplishment we know that that can be really it is really important for our well-being to have that sense of competence but what we've seen um, and I did have to say I did see it pre-COVID in particular occupations like education and teaching but often we see you know this focus sole focus or you know too much of a focus on accomplishment and performance and achievement to the detriment of well-being so uh and that's you know it's led uh, to burnout in the corporate sector at the moment as people pivoted and so it's it's a real balance we need performance and well-being or achievement and well-being together you know not not one to the detriment of the other yes in fact I think you promote the two go hand in hand. Yes, absolutely. But it is a delicate balance. (laughs) 
from time to time. Absolutely. And as you speak of the pandemic, post-pandemic, people are wanting much more of a sense of meaning, a sense of self, and they've put themselves more to the fore. In fact, we know the job psychological contract has changed in favour of the employee now. So they're going to be wanting more of the health positivity and meaningfulness and satisfaction, as you say, accomplishment and health. Yes, well, you know, I think in early part of my career and certainly my parents who uh, I've just shared with you are in their 90s now, you had a job and you were actually really grateful to have a job. And I think that was possibly, um, I mean, also uh, because of the climate and that if there weren't many jobs available, you know, unemployment was high, but we were just grateful to have a job. But um, I think at the moment, uh, particularly in Western society, there are jobs and there are opportunities. I know my son's in his late 20s and he uh, has, I think, a multitude of offers come through LinkedIn um, and he's in a sales role. So I think when you've got more choice, it, I mean, if things change and, you know, and unemployment goes up, we might we might have to revert back to, you know, taking what we can get. But at the moment, I think our younger generation uh, you know, have got some choice and they want meaning. They don't just want jobs. They really want organisations that are committed to making a difference in the world as well. So they're quite picky about who they're working with. They are, and they're even crafting their own jobs and changing yes. them to suit themselves to stay engaged. And we're promoting it, as the Australian Psychological Society says, uh, because employ- uh, rather employees are going to be doing that anyway, whether employers know it or like it or not. So encouraging employers to get on board with shape-shifting is going to improve the uh, organisation as well. So it's, it's in their benefit. It's so true. And that fits to one of the other core psychological needs in self-determination theory being autonomy. So we know that when people experience higher levels of autonomy, they report greater levels of well-being. So we are seeing, and you may be seeing this too, in the corporate sector, a lot of uh, traditional conservative organisations, law firms, I know in particular, really being stretched to, you know, let go of uh, the, the micromanagement and giving people greater levels of autonomy and flexibility. Yes, and we didn't. We did see that micromanagement really peak during COVID lockdowns, unfortunately, because managers and organisations were not prepared, didn't no. know how to manage remote employees. Uh, so it's it's been a great testing time for organisations and individuals. Yes, definitely, and the leaders in particular, um, who I think are under a particular amount of pressure, aren't they? Because uh, may not have had the capacities or the, you know the skills to have these types of conversations never perhaps had those types of conversations in their history yeah. so it is I do feel I feel for for leaders at this point in time there's a lot on their plate there is and there must be such a call for your positivity institute I see you're in a, a few countries now you're in England New Zealand Australia wide so is there a growing demand well, I think so. I hope so. And I, I would say, Amanda, that I think Australia is leading the way in, in many um, in many ways, actually. Um, I mean, we started with positive education. We were the first uh, country in the world to launch a positive education movement. And that's that was taking off. It dropped off through COVID, but it's picking up again now, which is wonderful. Um, I'm really fortunate to be an honorary professor in the University of East London who have a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology 
psychology, which is my real sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to, I've got to know a, a whole lot of new uh, people and students in the UK now. And uh, you know, we can see. I think it's very similar to what happened here in Australia when we launched the coaching psychology unit at Sydney Uni in the year two thousand, and then the masters of applied positive psych at Melbourne Uni, as more students and a lot of the students have very diverse backgrounds and are working in organisations or schools and they come and study this field and then they take it back and then the organisations are becoming more knowledgeable, more sophisticated, and then it just starts to ripple and people move from one school to another, another organisation to another. And I've really seen, because I've had the beauty of doing this for nearly 20 years now, It's so exciting to be at this place. I mean, in saying that, though, because I do present to a lot of diverse audiences, um, I'm constantly reminded that there's still a lot that people don't know out in our broader community about um, mental health and well-being and and performance. So there's plenty of work still to be done out there. Oh, isn't there just? And look, let's talk about what is positive psychology and positivity. I mean, my understanding is it comes from the flow literature where people love to be in, engaged and in a flow state or intrinsically motivated. Yes. What, tell, tell us as you're the yeah. expert. Yeah, well, you know, you're picking up on a couple of key, um, I guess, approaches or theories that certainly pre-existed the formal launch of the field of positive psychology. So flow theory, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, um, people often find it very hard to pronounce um, the theorist's name, which is Professor Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, and I've I've practiced that a lot of times. So, um, so yeah, we we actually unfortunately lost um, Professor Csikszentmihalyi only a couple of years ago now, but he was one of the formal founders of the field of positive psychology with Professor Martin Seligman, mm-hmm. and he did bring to positive psych his pre-existing work around flow, which is that experience when you're completely absorbed in an activity that you go. Where's time, you know, and that's what happens in these podcast interviews. <laughs> Where's time gone to? And then people people report elevated levels of well-being after being in flow experiences like surfing or gardening, running in the zone. Um, and so, yeah, Marty, uh, Marty Seligman had also done some work on uh, learned optimism, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, The Optimistic Child. I still think is a brilliant book, even though I think it's been around since the 70s or the 80s, Learn optimism and so he came in uh, professor ed Dina, we lost him again only a year or so ago he had done 30 years of research on happiness subjective well-being and so some of these big names in the u.s came together and formally launched this field of positive psychology in 1998 and it's um, defined as the scientific study of optimal human functioning. So it really is a study of of us at our best, at the individual level, uh, the team, uh, the organisational community, societal. So it's become over time, it was very individually focused when it first launched back in 1998. Uh, But in the last few years, we now have third wave positive psychology, which is talking about systems informed positive psychology. So there's a much greater recognition uh, on systems theory and how the interaction between individual, um, even the systems within the individual, but the individual and the systems that we live in as well, which is quite an exciting time um, to, to be learning about that too. 
Oh, look, it links also beautifully with organisational psychology's yes. basic concept of the relationship. You know, the relationship between the employee and the employer is critical. And so here we have it again, this positive relationship within ourselves and within ourselves and our work, between ourselves and our work and happiness and positivity and being engaged and productive. I love it. Yes, and it also connects to some of the emerging legislation on psychological health and safety at the moment, um, which, as you would know, as an organisational psychologist, that it is a shared responsibility, as you've just identified, between the individual and the organisation. Um, but there is definitely now requirements, um, and it's varying from state to state, but it's a fast-moving uh, piece at the moment. Um, I'm still, because of I came from a clinical background, and we were trained primarily to focus on the individual. So I've had to have a lot of supervision and do a lot of education, you know, with edu organisational psychologists and social psychologists to, to really understand that. And so that's been interesting. That's been my lens that I've come to this. And I absolutely, like Marty Seligman, believe that we can and we should be giving, equipping people and particularly our young people with psychological skills and strategies rather than waiting until they, you know, derail and then they come and see the psychologist. So I'm all for that. But I'm, you know, now so on the bandwagon around we need to look at the systems, the structures, the policies, the procedures, um, you know, from the organisations or the systems that we're operating in because they can actively undermine well-being or they can actively support well-being. Well, exactly, and to their own benefit to support well-being because then reducing turnover, That's burnout, um, being sued and loss of um, productivity. So it's very much in the organisation's benefit to promote psychological safety, well-being, mental health. Exactly. Um, we have had that, uh, I guess, carrot. It's been there for a little while, but uh, some of my colleagues say that we do, we're probably going to need a bit of both, the, you know, the carrot and the stick with the legislation to, to get organisations moving. But for me, creating flourishing organisations or thriving organisations is a noble thing to do because, you know, we often in organisations talk about corporate social responsibility and looking what we can do outside the organisation, which is important. But I read a great book um, by Bob Chapman called Everybody Matters. It's a brilliant book that was recommended to me. And uh, he, he was a CEO of an organisation in the US. And he says, you know, we're talking about what we're doing out in the world. But you know, in some of these larger organisations, we've got thousands of people that are in our care. Yes. And what are we doing for the people that are in our care on a daily basis? And I just love that. I love it too. And becoming an attractive organisation that's attractive. Yes. Yeah, because, again, the employees are walking and speaking and driving a lot of this process. So an organisation wants to attract a good employer. Exactly. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah, the great places to work, and yeah. I think not. It's not in all schools yet. This whole pos educa positive education movement, but um, because I've been doing this so long, I've actually met some uh, young people that I've met through schools or colleges that have now come into the workplace, and they're just leaps and bounds ahead oh. of everybody else. And um, actually, I had uh, uh, I tell I've told this story a few times, but. Um, in one of the workshops had one of the senior leaders had said, you know, this is so wonderful. We're doing this here at this organisation, Susie. He said, because, you know, our five-year-old came home and taught us, my wife and I, about growth mindset last <laughs> week. So 
so we've got children teaching their parents at the moment. So there is a bit of a gap, gap to fill. And I think organisations as key institutions in our society, it's such a great place to learn some of these skills. And yes, the young people have already had some introduction. They're more open to mindfulness. They're using apps. So they, they expect that and they want that in their organisational setting. That's so wonderful. And I guess you're bringing organisations up to speed to catch up with the younger generation. What What is it mostly you seem to do in organisations with your Positivity Institute? Education. So, um, I mean, I think I'm, an, I'm, I'm a pracademic is how I refer to myself because um, I'm not a full-time academic. I hold a, a couple of honorary positions, but I love I love the science, Amanda. I love reading it. And, but I've, I constantly think about how might this be used. And so a lot of our work is education around wellbeing science, performance science, and then we utilize coaching and evidence-based coaching as a methodology to contextualize the learning, to support learning retention and transfer of training so that they can, you know, bring it to life because we know that, uh, you know, I think it's transfer of training is less than 10%. So there's a lot of large investments being made. So unless we have some way to ensure that it's not just, you know, a great workshop and then nothing ever happens. So that's something I'm really passionate about is how do we get this to stick and be embedded into an organisation over the longer term? Look, it's one of the key challenges I've had as an organisational psychologist. And I find the main barrier to that transfer of training is the top stakeholders. So true, isn't it? And it's very frustrating even mm. as a consultant where I've worked with organisations and I have had the opportunity to work with them over a period of time and you've had a, a leader that's you know, absolutely has brought you in, they're, they're a great sponsor, and then they move on for various reasons. And um, this is not in all cases, but I have to say in, in a number of cases I've seen you know, whether it's just due to ego that, you know, oh, we have to do something, I'm the new leader, so I have to do something new rather than build on a lot of the wonderful work. So, um, yes, you're so right. It has such a significant impact, that that leader, that senior leadership. Mm. Um, but I think if we can try and embed it as much as we can, you know, maybe there's less chance of, you know, we've got a, a greater bulk of people and it's already working well. Um, I don't know. I don't really know the, the full answer to this one yet. I'm still working on that one, Amanda. Well, we've got increasingly networked organisations and particularly yes. since the pandemic. So I'm hopeful that the hierarchical breakdown Yes allow for more growth mindset upward through ranks and across the organization and so bypassing some of the stubborn older uh, leaders that might not be as open-minded. Yes I think that's that sounds just spot on actually yeah wonderful thank you. Susie you have a new book for the general public which is so exciting (laughs) the positivity prescription so let's talk about this wonderful new book. Yes, yeah, so I've had the book. Um, it actually came out just as COVID hit, actually, Amanda. So, um, but um, which was interesting timing to do it because we were doing some press releases and the media agent said, oh, this is not the best time to do this right now. And I said to them, it's absolutely the best time to do to launch this right now because as you would know, when we're in, you know, when we're stressed and we move into fight, flight, freeze, you know, our thinking shuts down. And we actually, when we're, facing these significant challenges, we need to be thinking creatively and innovatively. And so the the theory underpinning 
one of the key theories underpinning positive psychology is broaden and build theory, mm. um, which has been tested numerous times that shows that when we, well, in research studies, we induce people into positive mood states through weather or music or gifts, um, or when we experience positive mood states, our visual perception broadens. So they do eye tracking exercises. So we, we're looking up, actually. We're, we're noticing more things in our environment. We're more solution focused, where we come up with longer lists of uh, ideas when we've got uh, problems put to us, creative brainstorming exercises. Um, we're more um, altruistic, like we see more of the similarities between, between you and I yeah. um, in, in some studies in particular with people from very different racial backgrounds. Mm. So we're in a positive mood state. We're more likely to see the similarities, which I think is just so crucial for this day and age. Yes. So we we want to be able to, and I would I refer to it as consciously cultivating positive emotions. We want to be a bit more intentional about how we create a bit of joy in our lives. Now, mm. unfortunately, I have had a bit of backlash to that with the whole toxic positivity movement which I understand absolutely what's behind that and I've never been a toxic positive psychologist I think coming from a clinical background for me it's always been around the full range of human emotions um, and you know having worked clinically helped people with a lot of the so-called negative emotions and the labels I still struggle a little bit with those labels but um, I think what what I didn't learn at university I learned a lot about the, the negative emotions like fear and anger and shame and disgust and guilt, but I never learned about joy or gratitude or um, elevation, which is a positive moral emotion. And so through positive psychology, we've learned about 10 different positive emotions and we've learned about the ways that we can create them. Um, and so it's not black and white. Like if there's something like I've had some challenges with my family this week, you know, I've, I've, allowed myself to sit with that as painful as it is yeah. um you know watching someone suffer in your family um but that doesn't mean that when I come back and see my partner and we sit down to dinner and we light a candle and put some music on it doesn't mean I don't shift my mood so I think what I see in the community is is very black and white about it's either this or it's this uh -huh. you know you're either not experiencing positive emotions um you know in, sorry you're not experiencing you're shutting down your negative emotions and you're just being a toxic you know positivity yeah. whereas I don't think it's black and white I think we can experience the full range you know inappropriate ways and relevant to what's happening in our lives but we certainly can do with a little bit of um what's called in the research prioritizing positivity oh. so what are, yeah what are the who are the people um the places and the activities that I know are going to give me a little bit of upliftment to yeah. my mood and, and if you think about cognitive behavioural therapy, which I was trained in, one of the key strategies we had for treating clinical depression was activities of pleasure. Yes. So we, it's all, we've always had it there. So it's not anything new. We had activities of confidence and activities of pleasure, activity scheduling. So this is really what, what we're now talking about when we're talking about prioritising positivity. Absolutely. So this book will help people to do that, will it? I hope so, yes. And it's uh, based on six six core psychological capabilities um, that I've, uh, I'm aware of, there's science supporting them, but as a practitioner, I've used them extensively with my own clients. So, you know, uh, research and te uh, techniques around, as we said, mood, 
positive, in particular, positive mood. Might, which is strengths, which are, again, as a clinical side, I didn't have much training on strengths-based approaches. I know in other fields that there have been, um, and we're seeing a strong move towards strengths. Um, we know that when people use their strengths, they report greater levels of well-being. We've got mindfulness, you know, which, again, you know, lots of research clinically, but also now from a proactive well-being perspective. We've got mindsets, so a lot of those cognitive behavioural act-based approaches and growth and fixed. Um, motivation, looking at some of the intrinsic motivation you picked up on before. Um, what else have I got? Um, might meaning meaning a whole lot uh, yeah. of research around meaning and knowing what our values are and trying to create a values congruent life so the book touches on six of these core psychological capabilities and then with some strategies around how you can build those capabilities oh how fantastic a real guide for people as you say right now when it's needed so greatly and people can get your book the positivity prescription from your website i think you can get it from the website but also also, any other online booksellers, uh, it's available from also. Fantastic. And your website again, please. It's the positivityinstitute.com.au. It's a long one, but um, we have quite a few resources on there too, on the uh, resources page. So, and very happy for people to email the info at the positivityinstitute.com.au. And we try to help as much as we can. We actually get a lot of requests for how can I learn more? You know, what courses do you recommend? So we have uh, a handout that we're happy to send out to for recommended further education. And we've also just recently launched our own Academy Plus. Um, so we have a digital version of that 6M uh, model uh, that's contained uh -huh. in the book. I have a digital program that uh, organisations are starting to utilise for their people, which is great. And I'm about to launch a Foundations of Coaching Psychology for any coaches out there that want to learn more about the underpinning coaching psychology. And then later in the year, hoping to launch a Certificate in Positive Psychology Coaching, which is my sweet spot also. Oh, how fantastic, because coaches are so much needed now with people striving to find this balance between meaning, happiness, feeling good about themselves and productive work. Uh, so teaching coaches how to bring positivity to um, individuals and em empowering their lives and their work lives is so needed. Absolutely. And there's a, a much greater openness. Um, my advice to anyone that does go into the field is to do, you know, the best education that undertake the best education that you can get. If you see this is going to be a long term career for yourself, because at this point in time, anyone can call themselves a coach. So that's also a word of warning to your listeners that are seeking out a coach that they want to ask a lot of questions around people's education and experience. Um, but yes, I think it's a fantastic time to be a coach. I don't believe you have to be a psychologist to be a coach, but I'd love to see a lot more psychologists step into the space, really. But um, for those that aren't, I definitely recommend, as I said, further education in mental health, um, identification and referral, uh, because it's, uh, I guess, naive to think that just because you're coaching, you're not going to have clients come along that have got, you know, mental health concerns. So for coaches, they definitely need to have done mental health first aid or, you know, have some training and background in assessing and referring on. And it's very easy to get mental health first aid training these, these days. days. Yes, it's online, I believe now yeah. as well. 
a lot of organisations provided as well for employees. So, yes, you're absolutely right to issue that warning for people who seek a coach. Make sure that they do have at least mental health first aid training because as you go through a coaching process, your mental health can be compromised. Absolutely. And even if you screen at the beginning, which some coaches do, it doesn't mean something won't happen and there won't be issues throughout. So I think, you know, if you're in the coaching field, you're really serious about it. Um, I'm so glad that for my training as a psychologist and as a clin site, but if you don't have that, do something, you know, around um, around mental health. And we also know that counselling skills and a lot of coaches that I meet have done the lifeline training, which is Yep. extremely good so you can't coach if you haven't got those basic micro skills of attending as well that are required for counseling and coaching that's so important to hear that Susie thank you yes thank you is there anything else you would like to discuss uh no I think um it's just a it's a really exciting time isn't it to be a psychologist first and yes. foremost I'm seeing some uh, wonderful young people come into the field right now and I think, uh, yes, when I was first, you know, working particularly in the organisational sector, which you will probably relate to, there were a number of times I was told, don't tell anyone you're a psychologist. You know? <laughs> People will think there's something wrong with them, whereas now we're being like, you know, embraced so and really recognised and valued. So it's a wonderful career. I'm so grateful for the career that I've had. And it's an exciting time because people are much more open now than they ever have been in the past. It's one of the great benefits that's actually come out of the pandemic that people are now talking. It's in the public discourse, mental health, mental wellness, positivity. How wonderful. It It is, absolutely. And thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing, Amanda, too. Oh, thank you, Susie. And for your wonderful work, we thank you so much and for being a guest on today's podcast. And one of the last questions I do ask my guests is, what makes you psyched for life? (laughs) Well, I think it's just what what we just said is that I wake up every morning. My diary is um, every day it's a different day, speaking to people like yourself, um, delivering education, coaching. I I retain a handful of very senior leaders myself. Mm. I had a couple of years off from coaching, but I've come back to it now and I love it. So I think what, as, as you said, what makes me psyched is just the energy enthusiasm I have for the work that I do and now with the world being um, also more embracing of that. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Susie Green, for being a guest on today's podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. Plus, don't forget you can access all of the resources mentioned in today's podcast via the show notes. Is there a pressing issue or topic you'd like me to discuss? Head to my Instagram at dramandaferguson and send me a DM. I love hearing from my listeners. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 333 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 55 1800 
and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.